in a breathtaking book called Preaching in Hitler's Shadow. Dean Stroud has collected some amazing sermons of the resistance in the Third Reich. But before he gets to them, he helps us to understand the times while also questioning the church in Germany. Some quotes. Why read sermons from Nazi Germany? Why should we read these sermons from inside the Third Reich? After all, the church in Germany failed to stop Hitler and failed to defend Jewish Germans from ridicule, persecution, and deportation to death camps. In addition, the common thinking is that Christians offered little or no opposition to Nazism. Historians have judged Christians guilty of indifference at best and willing complicity at worst. Books examining the church in Nazi Germany have seldom had much good to say about Christians and Christianity. We read, for example, in The Holocaust and the Christian World, the following explanation of the church's failure. Perhaps at the heart of these failures was the fact that the churches sought to act, as institutions tend to do, in their own narrowly defined best interests. There was little desire on the part of the churches for self-sacrifice or heroism and much emphasis on pragmatic and strategic measures that would supposedly protect their institutional authority. Ouch. Before we get too discouraged, let's read a few more words from Professor Stroud. While there is certainly enough material against the institutional church to warrant this judgment, institutions are composed of human beings. And each man, woman, and child in Hitler's Germany offered a unique response to events. Although the majority of pastors in Nazi Germany may well have offered little or no overt resistance that we know of today, we know of some who did. Against powerful appeals from the Nazi leaders to worship the state rather than the Judeo-Christian God and to hate the state's enemies, Christianity offered a radical alternative. The institutionalized church in Germany was much more interested in protecting itself than the powerless in its midst. And they ended up losing everything. The church organizations that operated in Germany before Hitler, they're almost completely gone today. I don't know if you know it. Less than one half of one percent of the people in Germany belong to any of those churches now. It's pretty much gone. But our question, what do you do with a church that has so little effect on its society that millions of their own citizens are killed under their very noses? What do you do with religious leaders who so willingly abandon the teaching of Scripture to instead act in their own narrowly defined best interests? Remember that saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same? <laughs> Throughout history, men have used religion to gain for themselves. As Paul wrote to Timothy 1,900 years ago, they imagined that godliness is a means of gain. But before Paul stood against these false teachers, Jesus did. Jesus sent a man born blind. The blind man, who could now see, and the people with vision, who don't see. But they think they do. And then there are those people who take no stand. They lack courage to do right. So they do nothing. Spiritual sight. Who could see, who could not, and who could do something about it? 
We're going to consider these questions as we look at John chapter 9, focusing on the Pharisees and the parents. The penitent parents who please the proud Pharisees. Consider what the Pharisees saw. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud in my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Two reactions. One said, he doesn't play by our rules. We set the rules as to what God wants. We decide that. They'd taken a good part of God's law. Don't work on the Sabbath as you should be focusing on God. And added to it a ton of rules which about what constituted work. Incredibly, they decided Jesus performing a miracle constituted work. That was work. And as such, he broke their little rules. Then there was that small group of which Nicodemus was a part that said, maybe we don't know as much as we think we know. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're not sure. Jesus might really be the light. And this is a pretty significant sign. And signs point to something, right? The first group could not see the light. They were holding their list of rules in front of their face and they couldn't see anything beyond it. The rules which were so familiar and comfortable and, if they'd only be honest about it, gave them lots of power and wealth. They really didn't want to see the light or for anyone else to see the light. They didn't want it to shine because it would expose the corrupt system that was so very beneficial to them. Some of them didn't want to even acknowledge that there was a light shining in their faces. They were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Why did they ask this question? Well, who is they? Now remember, there's a division in their ranks. Sounds here like the minority who thought Jesus might be the one still had a voice. Timid though it was, it would seem they are the ones asking this question. Of course, as we talked last time, the man born blind knew very little about Jesus when this all started. They, both those who were willing to see and those who weren't, knew a lot of facts that they should have known and thought about because they were about him about Jesus and many scriptures which spoke of him. Have you heard that other saying, you can always find evidence to support your bias? <laughs> no matter what it is, you can always find something. I'll bet the blind majority of Pharisees probably brought up this one. If a prophet arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. So you shall purge the evil 
from your midst. Some of them convinced themselves that even though he healed a man born blind, even though their own SWAT team said he was unlike any other man, even though some of their own peers believed in him, Jesus must be evil. Hey, he healed on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. He doesn't keep God's commandments. I mean, they were so sure they could already see. <laughs> or were they really only concerned with the preservation of their own power? They kept their power with their rules. You keep the Sabbath our way and you are serving the Lord. Don't keep it our way and you are rebelling against the Lord because our way is God's way. Perhaps it was convenient memory loss that made them forget something that is woven into the fabric of the Old Testament. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Did they forget? Did they just not really give a rip? <laughs> or did they think it was just a nice story, but no one should really expect it to actually happen? I mean, it never had before. But the man born blind, he knew better because he knew Jesus' heart. The Father was drawing him. And maybe he was drawing some of the Pharisees. But the Jews didn't know. They were like their father, the devil. <laughs> the heart cannot believe without the mind understanding. That's true. But understanding the words is clearly no guarantee that one will believe. Even if someone clearly shows you the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And why call his parents at all? Because most of them had chosen not to believe in Jesus. Obviously, this miracle is false. This healing was obviously faked. But then there was that element that wanted to believe. They didn't come right out and say it. They weren't that brave. But they questioned. So the non-believing element had to agree to a standard legal procedure. Bring the witnesses in. Check everything out. Only they really didn't do it like they were supposed to. I mean, can you imagine being a witness in court and having the attorney say, your son whom you say is blind? Uh, that's pretty poor court proceedings. They challenge rather than simply asking the question, Somebody should have said something. I mean, the big cheese in charge, he should have, but he wasn't about to rock his own boat, right? <laughs> and nobody else was brave enough. The Jews don't really care about the facts. <laughs> they had already decided that they could see just fine. They're like groping around in the dark and they weren't interested in scriptures like in that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. What are you going to do when they ignore such obvious teaching? There's not much hope for those false teachers, but let's not forget the ones on the witness stand. What about the parents? How did they respond to the pressure? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. He was born blind. There was sin, but we don't know why that's changed. That's what they're saying. They don't quite throw him under the bus, but they pretty much abandon their own son. 
they went penitent on him. <laughs> Not penitent to God, but penitent to the proud Pharisees. Why? His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Of course, saying Jesus healed their son didn't exactly say he was the Christ, but everybody knew that's what it meant. <laughs> there was probably no formal announcement, we're going to cast out anyone who says Jesus is the Christ. But everybody knew that too. And it drove the parents. They knew what was going on. By the way, the Pharisees said, how did your son get healed? They said, we don't know who healed him. <laughs> Using how was probably a threat. Don't even think of mentioning Jesus. <laughs> uh, the parents knew that was the central issue. Their son knew this too. Everybody knew this. It drove the man born blind to support Jesus. But his parents, you know, what can we say? They abandoned Jesus without the Pharisees even having to say it directly. Why? And we have to understand that since the day their son was born, the parents carried the stigma of sin more than the blind man himself. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Most people would have known it was the parents who sinned. For 50 years, everybody had looked down on them. Only because there was the slightest chance that it wasn't their fault were they even allowed to be a part of Israel. And now they know if they say one wrong thing, they won't be a part. They'll be kicked out. And the opinion of people meant more to them than the truth. Have you ever felt lower than dirt? <laughs> I really wonder if these parents did, especially when their sun shines so brightly. What about those leaders who started out tentatively supporting Jesus? What happened to them? So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. See what happened? They've been completely silenced. Just like those pastors who tried to accommodate the Nazis. They started out saying, yeah, but... And now they can say nothing. And the Jews imply that the formerly blind man had done something wrong by believing in Jesus. The one who gave him sight. I mean, it's incredible. They've given up trying to disprove the miracle. It's indisputable. But they refuse to give Jesus credit. How incredibly blind they are. They see the miracle has happened, so they seek to discredit the one through whom it happened. Not that they'd mention Jesus' name directly, you know, not a chance. Can't give him even that. This man. Exactly how many signs have they done? How many have they seen? Ever. But they choose to believe their interpretation of the Sabbath laws was of greater importance than this incredible sign. They should have known. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. No one has ever done all this until Jesus. 
Isaiah spent a lot of time pointing out the signs that would accompany the coming of the Messiah. And everybody knew it. How could they not see it? Even when the man clearly stated the obvious, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. His parents folded. The unsure leaders folded. Even Nicodemus was hesitant in his belief. This guy was not. He admits his ignorance of theological nuances. (laughs) But he is very clear on the truth. But why did they ask him again? Well, they're cross-examining him. These jerks are hoping he'll make a mistake or that he'll fold under the pressure. But he knows what these slimes are doing. I have a low opinion of them. (laughs) And he responds to them with the obvious and overwhelming truth. And they pour it on. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. We keep the law that Moses and the prophets gave us. I mean, what a bunch of hypocrites. We know Ah, uh, but our man, you gotta, you just gotta love this guy. He comes back at them with this very statement. Do we really understand where this guy is coming from? He's been looked on all of his life. Fifty years he's been looked on it. He was probably denied education. Well, we know he was. He was probably in dirty beggar's clothes. And he's standing boldly in front of all these guys in their thousand dollar suits with their, all their doctorates. He pours their own we know statement right back on their own heads. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. They really did know. (laughs) He's repeating back their standard teaching, throwing it in their faces. And they do not take kindly to his instruction. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Okay, you know, the obvious personal attack. But catch what they are now forced to admit. He was born blind and their teaching says somebody sinned here. But now he sees. So if they were right, his sins must have been forgiven for him to receive his sight. And only the Christ could do that. On another occasion, some from this very same group, when Jesus told a man his sins were forgiven, said, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So, in admitting he was born blind and now sees, they condemn themselves by the very scriptures that they claim to uphold. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song. But those hypocritical Pharisees didn't want us to sing a new song. They liked the old one especially their interpretation, maybe we should say perversion, of it. However, no matter what they wanted, 
everything was changing. The light had come into the world. But they didn't want to see by this new thing that God was declaring. The truth is, they were always spiritually blind. And they liked being blind. They don't want to believe. And Jesus knew it. So of them, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. You ever been to an art exhibit? Did you notice nobody judges art in the dark? Uh, I mean, if you want to judge accurately, you have to be able to see well. You have to turn on the light. Then you see what's good. <clears throat> yeah, you see what's bad too. <laughs> That's what the light does for you. Jesus is the light with which and by which everyone will be judged. Jesus just being there in the world must result in judgment. This light, you see, is also perfection. The perfect makes obvious the imperfect. The brightness of the light allowed at least one to see, but it blinded others. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. They were so sure they had it right. And standing right in front of the light, they didn't know it was shining. The one who was and is the light said this, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. The Jews denied Christ. And he will deny them in the final judgment. But did the parents deny him? <laughs> what about the other rulers? I mean, what about Nicodemus? Have you heard these words Jesus told his disciples? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? How important is your soul, your eternal destiny? Heaven, you see, is not a long ways off. <laughs> Jesus said it very strongly. You or James, I'm sorry, said it very strongly. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Each of us must choose who will we please. God? But why? Why should we please God? I think the writer of the Hebrews lays it out pretty well. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The pleasures of sin that last a moment or the eternal reward of God. Heaven, the new creation, is right around the corner, whether you're seven or seventy. <laughs> and this life, whether you're seven or seventy, is very short. And can we just say it blatantly? Without eternal life, Christianity is stupid. I'm sorry. It just is. It's true. If there's no new creation, let's party in this one. Because it would be true. You have only one life to live, so live it with gusto. Remember that old commercial, some of you? (laughs) If there is no hereafter, use all the people you can. Why not? But what if you're wrong? What if they're wrong? What if there is an eternal life or eternal death to come? Do we see clearly enough in the light to see eternity? Decades after he watched Jesus heal the man born blind and saw that man be strong and courageous for Jesus, John wrote these gentle words, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Will you abide, live in the Father's wonderful love forever? The light shines on everyone. The question is, how will each person respond? It blinds some. The Jews convinced themselves that doing a miracle on the Sabbath was sin because it was work. And what fools! How could they think a miracle was any work? Miracles are, by definition, a spiritual work. They don't require any physical work. They don't work. There's no labor involved there. It takes no human power or work to heal a man born blind. A man who now sees, and not just physically. All those who are called, chosen by God, will receive their sight. And they will see the eternal. Will you see the eternal? That's the question. Can you see Jesus? Father, it is an amazing story. And we seem so far removed from it. Two thousand years ago, Jesus healed this man. And the world changed. Every calendar in the world is based on the life of your Son on earth. Because that's when the world changed. That is the pivotal point in all of history. When your Son came, lived a perfect, sinless human life for us, died in our place, took all our sins on Himself, and now gives us His righteousness, His perfection. He just gives it to us. And one day it will be 100% applied to us. And all our sins will be permanently removed. If we just believe. If we want to see the light and live in the light. 
we know we're imperfect in that same book that John wrote, that letter about not loving the world and instead loving you and what you can do for us. He also said, if any of us says we're without sin, we're lying. But the good news is that we have an advocate. And it is this very same one, Jesus. For He is still every single day, every single moment interceding for us to You. And even though we might sin again in this life, He will continue to draw us. And we know that as long as we want to be in the light, that light will burn away. All of that, all of that nature we really don't want to have anyway. And then there are those that are just too afraid to tell anyone. They do believe that they just can't seem to get the courage to stand up for you, for your son. Pray that you would give us in the times when we're like that. Give us strength to do the right thing. And for those who don't yet know you at all, we pray that you would shine your light on them and it might burn, but it might bring them to you. Same things needed. The light shines on everyone. The only question is, what will we do with it? Help us, Father, to do the right thing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.